Good morning, this is 5 at 8. Today's Sunday, June 25th, 2023. And here's Linda Carlisle and Mark Overman with today's top news. In this episode, we'll talk about Ukraine's potential invasion of Western Russia, the mutiny of Russian private army Wagner, Iran's push for a regional dialogue forum, the implications of the Wagner revolt on Putin's power, and the impact of the Hajj pilgrimage on global public health practices. Story number one. According to Al Jazeera, Ukraine's top military expert, Lieutenant General Ihor Romanenko, has suggested that Kiev should make a strategic, principal decision on how to benefit from the unfolding turmoil in Russia. One such move could be in order to invade Western Russia to bypass massive defense installations on the 620-mile-long front line in eastern and southern Ukraine. The panic and disarray in Russia as troops of the Wagner private military contractor march on Moscow may provide Kiev with a perfect opportunity to deliver the least expected blow, he said. Ukraine's foreign minister said the international community should abandon false neutrality on Russia and provide Kiev with all the weapons it needs to push Moscow's forces out of Ukrainian territory. Should Ukraine really seize the opportunity to strike Russia in the midst of their turmoil? I mean, it's a risky move. But it could be a game-changer for them. They've got the Russian Volunteer Corps on their side, and they've already made some incursions into Western Russia. It's like that old saying, fortune favors the bold. I understand your point, Mark, but I think we need to be cautious about advocating for such a drastic move. Yes, Russia is in disarray right now, but we can't forget the potential consequences of escalating the conflict. We're talking about the possibility of nuclear weapons being used and the international community stepping in to prevent that from happening. It's not as simple as just seizing an opportunity. I get that, Linda, but sometimes you've got to take a risk to change the course of history. I mean, look at the 1917 Bolshevik Revolution. It was a risky move, but it ultimately led to the fall of the Tsarist regime and the rise of the Soviet Union. If Ukraine doesn't act now, who knows what could happen in the future? That's true, but we also need to consider the potential fallout from such a move. The times of trouble that followed the death of Ivan the Terrible is a perfect example. The power vacuum led to chaos, and Poland tried to install its own candidates, including false sons of Ivan the Terrible. If Ukraine were to strike Russia now, we could see a similar situation unfold, with even more instability and suffering for the people involved. I see where you're coming from. But I still think that Ukraine has a unique opportunity here to change the tide of the conflict. It's a difficult decision, no doubt, but sometimes you've got to take a leap of faith. I mean, if they don't act now, they might never get another chance like this. I appreciate your perspective, Mark, but I believe that diplomacy and international cooperation should be prioritized over military aggression. The consequences of escalating the conflict could be disastrous for both countries and the entire region. It's important to weigh the potential gains against the potential losses, and in this case, I think the risks are too high. Story number two. According to the BBC, Yevgeny Prigozhin, the chief of Wagner, a private Russian army, has turned against Russia's military leadership in an armed confrontation. Prigozhin claims that the defense ministry started it with a missile strike on a Wagner base camp, but Russian authorities deny this. President Putin has condemned Prigozhin's actions and promised a tough response. However, it is unclear to what extent Prigozhin's criticisms of military chiefs have struck a chord with lower ranks of the army. This mutiny creates another headache for the Kremlin, which is already fighting a war in Ukraine. Can you believe this, Linda? 
Yevgeny Prigozhin, the head of Wagner, is openly challenging Russia's military leadership. It's like a modern-day private army mutiny. It's certainly a troubling development, Mark. Private military companies like Wagner can pose a significant threat to political stability when they start to act independently of the government they're supposed to serve. Yeah, it's not the first time we've seen this kind of thing either. Remember the infamous Blackwater in Iraq? Their actions led to a lot of controversy and even strained relations between the U.S. and Iraq. That's a good point, Mark. And it's not just about the actions of these private armies, but also the implications for the legitimacy and authority of government leaders. In this case, Putin is being put in a difficult position. Exactly, Linda. It's like, how can you be seen as a strong leader when there's a private army causing chaos in your own backyard? And it's not just about Russia. This kind of thing can have ripple effects on regional and global security. Indeed, Mark. The presence and actions of private military companies can exacerbate internal conflicts and power struggles within a nation. We've seen it in the past with the East India Company in India, and more recently with various private security firms in Africa. You're right, Linda. It's a complex issue. And it's clear that the actions of these private armies can have far-reaching consequences. Governments need to tread carefully when dealing with them, and maybe even re-evaluate their reliance on these private forces. Well said, Mark. It's a delicate balance between utilizing the capabilities of private military companies and ensuring that they don't undermine the stability and security of the nation they're supposed to protect. Story number three. Iran's foreign minister, Hossein Amirabdollahian, has advocated for a regional dialogue and cooperation forum during his tour of four neighboring Arab countries. Al Jazeera reports that Amir Abdullahian visited Qatar, Oman, Kuwait, and the United Arab Emirates, UAE, and welcomed a proposal by United Nations Secretary General Antonio Guterres to convene an eight-country regional forum in New York in September. The forum would include Iran, Iraq, Saudi Arabia, the UAE, Qatar, Oman, Kuwait, and Bahrain, and is envisaged to continue its work beyond the UN General Assembly gathering. Amir Abdullahian mostly emphasized improving bilateral economic and trade relations, in addition to dialogue building. It's great to see Iran taking the initiative to improve diplomatic relationships with neighboring Arab countries. This could be a major step towards regional stability and economic growth. While I agree that it's a positive sign, I'm a bit more cautious about the potential outcomes. The Middle East has a long history of tensions and conflicts, and it's not going to be easy to resolve those issues through diplomacy alone. True, but we have to start somewhere, right? This regional dialogue and cooperation forum proposed by the UN could be a great platform for these countries to discuss their differences and find common ground. Yes, but we also have to consider the role of external actors like the United States and China. Their involvement in the region has often complicated matters, and it remains to be seen if they will support this diplomatic effort wholeheartedly. Well, I believe that a more collaborative Middle East would benefit everyone, including the U.S. and China. So it's in their best interest to support this initiative. Plus, we've seen diplomacy play a significant role in conflict resolution and economic development in other regions. That's true, but each region has its unique challenges and historical factors. We can't assume that what worked in one region will automatically work in another. It's important to approach this situation with a realistic perspective and not get carried away by optimism. I hear you, but I still think it's crucial to give this diplomatic effort a chance. It might not be a smooth journey, but it's a step in the right direction, 
And who knows? We might see a more peaceful and prosperous Middle East in the future. I hope you're right, Mark. It would be wonderful to see these countries come together and resolve their differences through dialogue and cooperation. But we must also be prepared for the challenges and setbacks that might come along the way. Story number four. Al Jazeera reports that mutinous Wagner mercenaries have advanced on the Russian city of Voronezh, halfway to Moscow, after seizing Rostov, one of Russia's largest cities. Wagner boss Yevgeny Prigozhin, an oligarch and former Kremlin ally, has claimed his actions are not an attempted coup, but a march of justice against the military high command that has destroyed many tens of thousands of Russian soldiers' lives. The revolt has implications for President Vladimir Putin's grip on power, the Russian war effort, and the state of affairs at home. Historically, Putin's popularity rested on restoring stability in Russians' lives during the post-Soviet collapse of the 1990s. Is it just me, or does this whole Wagner mercenary situation in Russia seem like a case of biting the hand that feeds you? I mean, they were supposed to be fighting in Ukraine, but now they've turned their sights on their own country. It's definitely a complex situation, Mark. It seems that as the conflict drags on, we're seeing more internal rifts and power struggles within Russia's power structure. It's reminiscent of the rise of militias during the Chechen War and the chaos in post-Soviet Russia. Yeah, it's like history repeating itself with these private militias and powerful individuals gaining more influence at the expense of the official armed forces. This could seriously shake up Putin's so-called power vertical. Absolutely. And it's important to remember that Putin's popularity has largely been based on restoring stability in Russians' lives. The unraveling of this stability due to the war in Ukraine, and now the internal conflict with the Wagner mercenaries, could have long-term political implications for Putin and his regime. Right. And with these entitlement-carrying actors openly clashing and moving military action inside Russia, it's a stark reminder of how fragile these alliances can be during times of conflict. I can't help but wonder what this means for Russia's future, especially if they can't get a handle on these internal tensions. That's a valid concern, Mark. As we've seen in the past, unstable alliances and power struggles can have far-reaching consequences for states engaged in ongoing conflicts. Maintaining domestic stability and navigating these complex power dynamics will be crucial for Russia moving forward. Story number five. According to Al Jazeera, the annual Hajj pilgrimage to Mecca has influenced global public health practices and policies, particularly in preventing outbreaks of diseases such as cholera. The Saudi Arabian authorities have implemented successful measures to reduce the risk of cholera and ensure the safety of pilgrims, including during the COVID-19 pandemic. However, the 1865 cholera epidemic that claimed 15,000 pilgrims highlighted the importance of community consultation and public buy-in for effective public health measures. The Hajj serves as a model for religious and public health practices, but past lessons must be remembered to prepare for future pandemics. Have you ever thought about how the Hajj, with its history of health crises, could actually serve as a valuable model for global public health responses? I mean, just look at how they've managed to successfully adapt and implement measures to keep millions of pilgrims safe during pandemics like COVID-19. Absolutely, Mark. It's fascinating to see how the Hajj has evolved over time in terms of public health practices. The 1865 cholera epidemic is a prime example of how a health crisis during the Hajj had far-reaching consequences, but it also led to the implementation of various sanitation measures in Mecca, 
which proved successful in reducing the risk of cholera. Yeah, it's incredible how the Hajj has played a role in shaping global public health practices. And it's not just about the historical aspect. The Saudi government's response to the COVID-19 pandemic, with strict social distancing and masking mandates, is a testament to their commitment to ensuring the safety of pilgrims. Definitely. And it's important to note that cooperation, inclusion, and trust among communities are crucial for effective disease prevention and mitigation. The cholera outbreak of 1865 showed how measures that lacked public buy-in and trust could undermine efforts to curb the spread of a disease. You hit the nail on the head, Linda. In today's world, where misinformation is rampant and amplified by social media, it's more important than ever to work with communities on pandemic preparedness and response. The Hajj can be a beacon of hope in that regard, showing how science can support spirituality and human solidarity. Absolutely, Mark. As world leaders discuss a new pandemic accord to improve how pandemics are detected and responded to, it's essential to learn from past mistakes and successes. The Hajj's journey from a history of health crises to a model of effective public health response is a valuable lesson for all of us. That's it for this morning. Have a great day and see you all tomorrow. Five at Eight is researched, written, and performed by artificial intelligence. For more information, visit botcaster.ai.